All right. Good to be with you this morning. We are almost to the end of our sermon series starting point, uh, but boy, it's been go so good for me to think about the implications of the gospel message and what that can do to transform us. So grateful for our leaders here, Justin and Kylie, Brandon and Haley. They're just phenomenal, and I'm praising God for them. Um, also so thankful for Tam Luce's leadership. Um, she just continues to plug away with that team. That CityServe team has grown immensely in the last two years. Like, there, there's, there's a whole crew of people laboring with Tam, and you know why they're doing it? Partly is because of Tam's leadership. Actually, some a new person who just got connected uh, to our church had the most amazing phone call with her on Monday. She's like, for the very first time, I feel like I'm home. For the very first time. And uh, she's in Sarah's two seven class and is really growing there. But she said, I, I thanked her for serving as city servant. And she says, I absolutely love it. She said, Tam is so easy to work with. I'm like, yes, she is. I'll have Tam in my corner all day long. Rick may say something different, but I like working with her. It's just cool to be a part of this family. Let me uh, read to you our text that we're going to be focused on this morning. Matthew 16, 24 through 28. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Here's the big idea that I want to focus on this morning. Only through the gospel do we receive a new purpose that truly satisfies. Here's the first point to unpack that big idea, is that we all need a purpose to live for. Uh, we need a reason to exist. Viktor Frankl, he's, he's written what most consider to be the best book on meaning in, in life. Um, it, it's the title of his book, it was a bestseller, it's Man's Search for Meaning. The book was published in 1946. And what it does is it chronicles uh, uh, Victor's life in a Nazi concentration camp for three years. Um, he survived it. His wife did not uh, survive it, nor did his parents survive the, the concentration camp. Um, it took Frankel nine days to write this book, Man's Search for Meaning. And this is what he concluded in this book. By the way, he was a psychiatrist and a neurologist from Vienna. Um, so this man, you know, obviously was an intelligent man. He, he, he says this, uh, life is not primarily a quest for pleasure as Freud believed or a quest for power as Alfred Adler taught, but a quest for meaning in his or her life. He also states, he concludes in his book that the difference between those that had lived and those that had died 
in the concentration camps came to one thing, meaning. If people had a purpose to live for, they were way more likely to survive in those concentration camps than those who didn't, right? Now, I am currently reading another book by another Victor, but it's Victor Stretcher, and he's a professor of the School of North, right? So, shouldn't trust him, but I, I think it's worth checking out. He's an agnostic, right? And what he does in this book is he, um, he cites the overwhelming research and science that supports this idea that people that have a purpose in life, are, they live more satisfied, they're healthier, they live longer than those that don't have a strong purpose in life. Here's his own words. Let me just read this to you. And this is his paragraph after going through the, the research. So let's imagine a drug that was shown to add years to your life, reduce the risk of heart attack and stroke, cut your risk of Alzheimer's disease more than, by more than half, help you relax during the day and sleep better at night, double your chances of staying drug and alcohol, alcohol free after treatment, Activate your natural killer cells, which is a good thing. Um, dip, diminish your inflammatory cells, increase your good cholesterol, and repair your DNA. What if this imaginary drug reduced hospital stays so much that it put a dent in the national healthcare crisis? Oh, and as a bonus, gave you better sex. The pharmaceutical company who made the drug would be worth billions. The inventors of the drug would receive Nobel, Nobel Prizes and have institutes named for them. But it's not a drug, it's purpose, it's purpose, and it's free. So what he concludes, we have some mental, mental health care workers here. I, can, I guarantee they can say that the, their clients that have a strong sense of purpose are probably doing better. All right, so point number two. So we all need a purpose. Point number two is our culture gives us two options for constructing a meaning, meaningful life. Hedonism and value identification slash application. Let me talk about these. Hedonism is this idea that the whole goal of life, the whole reason to live, the proper aim of life, the highest good, is to seek your bodily pleasure, right? So you can really be summed up with the motto, if it feels good, do it. Uh, Philippians 3.9 puts it this way. Uh, people that live a hedonistic lifestyle are serving the God of their belly, is how Philippians 3.19 puts it. So our American culture bombards us with this hedonistic mindset, doesn't it? I mean, I, you know this. I don't really have to tell you. Everywhere we turn, it's all about your comfort. It's all about your pleasure. It's all about your enjoyment, your satisfaction. It's all about your being entertained 24-7. This is the mindset maximize physical pleasure and avoid suffering at all costs. That's the American mindset, right? Um, it's interesting, going back to Victor Stretcher, in his book, there's research on those who take this course of life. This is what he found. And this is, well, this is not what he found, but the research they decided found. Hedonic aspirations reported, so, those who attain their hedonic aspirations reported greater anxiety and physical symptoms of poor health, whereas those attaining eudaimonic, uh, this is non-hedonic, 
aspirations, reported greater life satisfaction, self-esteem, and positive feelings. Of course, God's Word has been saying this long before these research studies came out. Um, they communicated the unfulfilling life that a hedonistic lifestyle leads to. Um, I think of Matthew 16, 26, the passage we just read where Jesus says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? There are plenty of Hollywood is full of people that have taken this path and have gained the world and ha are just empty, right? We see it all the time. James 4, 1 through 3 uh, also talks about this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So hedonism doesn't work. Even the agnostic agrees with that and admits it. So the other option that our culture, I think, gives to us is the values identification application route. Now, according to this approach, this approach, what you do, and by the way, I think this, if I understand Stretcher right in his book, this is what he recommends. But this approach is you look inside yourself Figure out what matters most to you and then live by that. That's the way to really find purpose and meaning in life. Now, I see two problems with this approach. The first problem is this. How do you know what values are best for you to live by? If you're living inside of yourself, how do you know that you're picking the right thing? We often value certain things and then we... Uh, you know, and we place a big premium on them, but then later we, we look back and we're like, why did I place such great value on that? That didn't deliver what I thought it was going to deliver, right? And many times our values are just downright evil, right? Hitler had values that he lived by, right? But they weren't the right ones. So that's the first problem. Second problem I see with this approach is this approach assumes that there is no God, no master designer of the universe that has made the world with a purpose. And therefore, it assumes that there is no inherent objective values that we are to live by. Um, and so that's why it's up to you to look inside and create your own meaning and purpose, right? Now, the problem with this is that if there is no God and we are just a mass of chemicals and molecules, then that means we are eventually going to die. The universe is eventually going to burn out. We're going to be here today, gone tomorrow, if we're just accidentally here uh, by random evolution. And if you keep thinking about this, it is really hard to really live by any purpose in this life. I think this is on the screen. If you and the universe will eventually die off and the ultimate outcome is sheer nothingness, even if you find a satisfying purpose now, in the end, what difference does it make? Who cares? Um, and so, yeah, maybe if you look inside and find some values to live by, based on your own subjective thinking and feelings, 
and you find some satisfaction by doing that, in the end, it's not going to matter at all. Here's a quote from atheist Thomas Nagel. He wrote this. Even if you produce a great work of literature which continues to be read thousands of years from now, eventually the solar system will cool or the universe will wind down and collapse and all trace of your effort will vanish. The problem is that although there are justifications for most things big and small that we do within life, none of these explanations explain the point of your life as a whole. It wouldn't matter if you had never existed. And after you have gone out of existence, it won't matter that you did exist. And that's why you see so many atheists go into severe depression, because if they really are thinking out what they believe, this is where you get to. Tim Keller puts it this way. You know I have to throw a Tim Keller quote in there. If this life is all there is, and there is no God or life beyond the material world, then it will not ultimately matter whether you are a genocidal maniac or an altruist. It won't matter whether you fight hunger in Africa or, in, or are incredibly cruel and greedy and starving the poor. In the end, what you do will make no difference whatsoever. It might make some people happier or sadder for a brief time while they are on the planet, but beyond that, your influence, good or bad, will likely be negligible when viewed on any grand scale. Everything you do and everyone you have done things with and to will be gone forever. Ultimately, everything we do is radically insignificant. Nothing counts forever. So, I don't think what our culture tells us to do as far as purpose, the hedonistic you know, path, nor the identify some values within yourself and live by those, because there is no God who gives us values to live by, are very fulfilling. So, Matthew 16, 25 gives us our answer of how we can truly find a purpose that satisfies us now. And this is the coolest part. Man, I don't know. You've got to be careful when you say that. So many cool parts of this. But also for all of eternity. So Matthew 16, 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So last point for this morning is this. In losing your life for Jesus' sake, you find a purpose that includes a person to enjoy, values to live by, friends to love, work to complete, and people to rescue. This is a phenomenal purpose right here. Let's look at each component briefly. A person to enjoy. When a person becomes a Christian, this is so wonderful. I love this. Please take this home with you. Uh, I'm probably reminding all of you of a truth you already know. But when you become a Christian, your primary purpose before you do anything else is simply to enjoy God. Simply to enjoy God. Isn't that nice? Simply to enjoy Him. And that means we get to enjoy the most beautiful, creative, intelligent, loving, caring, patient, and faithful person in the world, God Himself. That's our primary calling as Christians. And this is such good news that we get to enjoy him because as the psalmist said about God in Psalm 16:11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love this. You know, when God created Adam and Eve, what did they do first? They had a day of rest with God. 
That was the very first thing they did when they were created. Just be with God, enjoy Him before they did anything else. We talk about Sabbath in our house as we get to pray and play with God. And that's from Eugene Peterson. That's what Adam and Eve did. That was their first calling, first day that they were created. Genesis 3.8, I love this verse because it implies that Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden with the Lord. They took strolls in the garden. That's what it implies if you read the verse. Being with God was always meant to precede doing for God. This truth makes me think of the story of Mary and Martha, right? You have, you have Martha, Jesus is coming to her house, and she, she wants to show him hospitality, and that's good. And so she's working all hard, and her sister Mary is not helping her, and she doesn't like it because Mary's just sitting at Jesus' feet. And so Martha goes to Jesus and, you know, is like ratting Mary out with Mary right there. Like, she's not helping me. Jesus rebuked Mary for not helping me. And what happens? Jesus rebukes Martha. Because Mary was choosing the better thing in that moment. Just to not do. Just to be with Jesus at his feet. How often do you approach your relationship to Jesus like a Martha instead of a Mary? That's what I want to ask you and I want you to consider. And perhaps nobody's more in danger of this than those who work in the church. Me, Blaine, Haley, and our team leaders. Right? We are in danger, probably more than anybody else, to mix up our doing for Jesus, uh, doing more of that, way more of that, than being with Jesus. And this is dangerous because if we don't put the being before the doing, like Martha, we can start doing in ways that are not going to be pleasing Jesus. Right? Um, I think of God like parents today. Nothing satisfies me more as a father than just spending good quality time with my boys. I love when they do stuff for me. That's great. Part of my love language is like, I think my primary one is acts of service. So if you want to love me, do something for me. But I still, I think quality time with them trumps that. Uh, just not too long ago, uh, my, I, you've heard it, probably me talk about a cabin that my dad and his hunting buddies have down an hour and a half south and Coldwell. Uh, Isaiah and I were there by a fire. There's no light pollution. He's leaning back on my chest and we are just looking up at the starry sky talking about how great is God, how awesome is he, and just marveling at his handiwork. And man, that's the good life right there. That's the good life. Um, an old document states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And I love how John Piper puts these two things together with this statement. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Are you satisfied in Him? And the only way to be satisfied in Him, in him is to spend time with Him. Unhurried time with Him. All right, have you been forsaking your first calling to enjoy God? Are you more Martha than Mary? All right, I think my batteries died, that's all right. <laughs> Values to live by, these are going to go way more quickly than that first one there. So, 
when we become Christians, we don't have to wonder, like, all right, what values should we live by? Because God gives us values. What are those values? If you scroll through the Sermon on the Mount, you'll see many of those values. Let me just mention them. Mercy. Peacemaking. Reconciliation. Sexual purity. Marital faithfulness. Being true to your word. Non-retaliation. Loving your enemies. Doing good to ultimately please God. Trusting God. Being non-judgmental. Being persistent in prayer. If you look at the rest of Jesus' teachings, you'll find these values to add to those. Humility. Forgiveness. Authenticity. Justice for the poor, widow, foreigner, marginalized. Servant leadership. Compassion. Courage. Repentance. Rest. Children. Stewardship. You show me a person living by these values, you're going to be showing me a peaceful, joyful person. That's what you'll be showing me. You show me a person that's living their opposites, you're, you're going to show me an angry, bitter, self-absorbed, narcissistic person. All right, so we have values to live by. We have friends to love. Um, when we become a Christian, we become siblings to many, many brothers and sisters in Christ. We have all these new siblings, and part of the Christian's new purpose in life is to love their new brothers and sisters in Christ, which means we are to call to fight for their highest good. And this is a tremendous purpose to live by, to know that you're being used by God to fight for the highest good of a brother or sister in Christ, and they're growing up in Christ as a result of God's work through you, I don't know if it gets any better than that. When I, like when I had that phone call on Monday, that made my week. That we are laboring here, and we're partnering with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is allowing us to make impact on an individual's life. It doesn't, that gave me fuel to work for this week. We get to do that. Work to complete. Work existed before the fall, and it's going to exist in the new world. It'll exist on the new earth. And so, when we become Christians, we get to consult with God and have a greater understanding of how He has wired us and what He wants to do as far as our vocation. And this may result in us changing our, our field of work, or it may result in us doing the same thing, but doing it with a new attitude and new motivations to glorify Him and to make impact on people, not just to get a paycheck. Here's one tool that I'll offer you very quickly. It's been helpful to me, and I'm using it with other leaders. It is called the 70-30 tool. So the tool goes like this, and this is based on hundreds of people that the company I got this from have worked with all over the world. So if in your work, 70% of what you're doing, if it's life-giving, you're naturally good at, meaning you're just like unconsciously competent, and it's like you're, you're wiring, um, and then you have 30, because no job is perfect this side of heaven anyway, but then 
30% of it is that part of a part of work that's hard. You're, you're competent, but not unconsciously competent. You're consciously competent. You have to think about it, but you can do it, but it's more life-sucking than life-giving. If you have that split, you're going to be pretty satisfied in your work, and you're going to make a pretty good impact. But if that starts to get wonky, where it starts that 30% becomes 40, 50, 60, 70, and the life-giving part of your job is decreasing, that's when you're not going to be nearly as effective, nor are you going to be as satisfied. And so you could think about this this week. Where are you in your work with that 70-30 split? And if you're wonky, it could mean that maybe you're not doing what God has uniquely designed you to do. All right, people to rescue. And this is the last, last thing, and then we're done. Jesus. I love, there's all these places where Jesus defines his earthly ministry. Let me just read these verses to you. Luke 4, 18 through 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. John 17.4, I have glorified you on the earth. Jesus is talking to the Father. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Luke 5, 31 through 32, Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew 20, 28, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me shall not abide in darkness. John 6, 38, for I have not come down from heaven, uh, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 18, 37, Pilate therefore said to Jesus, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Was Jesus clear on his purpose? He was clear. He knew what the Father had put him on the earth to do. Now, this is so awesome. We are extension of Jesus because we, as his bride, the church, are his body that he continues to accomplish his mission through. And so if you are a Christian, you have been rescued to be a rescuer. You have been rescued to be a rescuer. And so we get to join Jesus on this glorifying rescue, God-glorifying rescue operation where people are going to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, where they can experience abundant life now and forever. There is no, I mean, this, this purpose that God gives us is so robust. We get it through the gospel, through repentance and faith in Christ and what he's done for us. That's how we receive a purpose that truly satisfies and so, to conclude, um, let me ask you this question. Have you given up your agenda for Jesus' agenda? Have you given up your right to self-determination to be all about the king's business? 
if you have, are there any tweaks you need to make in your life to more fully live out God's purposes for you? Maybe you got to change what you're doing for work. Maybe you need to actually start being around people that don't know Jesus and prayerfully asking God for opportunities so you'll be able to have uh, chances to share the hope that you have in you. Maybe, and this is the first order of business if this isn't happening, maybe you just have to carve out time this week to simply be with Jesus in an unhurried, relaxed way and just enjoy his company. Maybe that's, you just need to go walk with Jesus. Maybe that's you need to go work out in your yard with Jesus. Maybe you need to go, you know, into the, go out in your deer stand and sit in the woods with Jesus. There's so many ways to be with Jesus and enjoy his presence. Right? Maybe there's some people here in our church that are hurting, that are really struggling, that you need to give an encouraging word to, provide a meal to, let them know you're praying for them. Maybe you need to do that. Look, let me just say this too. All these purposes that we talked about, they're eternal purposes. And that's why living for Jesus' purpose is so amazing because it outlasts even this life. I believe the Bible gives us reason to believe that the work that we do here will actually make it into the new world. That's a whole nother sermon. But at some point, I want to talk about that with you. I even believe, you know, Rick is this master uh, carpenter, right? Like he builds cabinets, but he, he always says he just builds boxes and that's all he does. That's a line of, that's bad. It's not true. If you've seen his work, he doesn't just build boxes. I believe some of Rick's work is going to be redeemed to its fullest extent and be a part of the new world. I think some of the most beautiful songs that have been created and art that's been created and we'll talk about that sometime in another sermon. The brothers and sisters we invest in, we're preparing them for ultimate glory as we invest in their discipleship. The people that we rescue from the present kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom of light, they're going to be a part of the new world because God worked through us to see them rescued. And you know what Jesus said in verse 27 of our passage? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and they, and then he will reward each according to his works. There are going to be rewards in heaven for us that have lived out the purpose that Jesus has called us to. There are going to be rewards, and some people are going to have more rewards in heaven than some others. And that's another sermon too. We will get to that at some point. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have done what was necessary through your life, death, resurrection, and exaltation to free us from our bondage to sin, to free us from the kingdom of darkness. Lord, may we be your, uh, may we join you on your rescue operation. May we live out these purposes that you have given to us by the power of you, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.